I really want everyone to recognize themselves as creative and find art making and creativity in their own expression as an outlet for them. And the only way they can do that is if they are not judgmental, but they actually can just appreciate the process. Welcome to Titans of Trade. I'm your host, Constance Dunn. And today we are joined by Serena Dugan, an artist, an entrepreneur, and I'm sure many other things that we are about to discover. Welcome, Serena. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes. So, and 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 we're so, as I was saying, I'm very excited to talk to you because one of the things that I find so lovely is your Salsalito studio. I mm. think that I imagined the inspiration there and the beauty of what you've created on the pier is extraordinary. And I'm curious how that came about. Uh, how the studio came about. Well, uh, so I, uh, I live now half time between Sausalito, California and Bend, Oregon. But mm. at the time that this, at the time that I found the studio, I was a full-time resident in Sausalito. Um, I had lived there for 15 years and I was always curious about this building that was out on the waterfront. It had kind of an air of mystery. And I never knew anyone who actually worked there or who knew anything about it. And when I knew that I was looking for more studio space, I my mind immediately went to that building. And I got in the car and I drove over there and uh, just started poking around and trying to find more information. And eventually someone walked out of the space that would become my space. And I asked him what he knew about the building and if there were any spaces for rent. And he said, no, it, the, it's, uh, it's not really available for rental, but I do store paddle boards in there and I'm actually moving them out and I'm going to have space. How much space do, are you looking for? And I told him I would take a corner. And it turned out that I got half of his space and then work. he worked his way out as he sold off his paddle boards. And that space has been mine ever since. See, I think it's fascinating that you thought of that space. Mm. And then you just went and did it. Like, is that what you rely on quite a bit? These yeah, um, I I think that that actually is a pretty good metaphor for how I run my life. If I can't picture it, it doesn't materialize. And um, and that holds true with finding a workspace. It holds true with uh, uh, a new design. It always starts in my head. Um, and if it isn't clear in my mind's eye, then it can't be clear in real life. And see, your orientation, just from what I've gathered, reading about you, you have a very strong forward orientation. Mm. And I'm curious, um, because there's certain people uh, that's, that are looking to change the orientation that they have of looking back a lot and spending a mm. lot of time back there in previous chapters. And I'm very interested in people like yourself who are always next, 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 next. So is that mm. how the way you've always been or did you cultivate this consciously? It's a really great observation and question. Um, I haven't really thought about it in those terms. 
I think I have always, um, I think I've probably always been that way to some degree. Um, I couldn't tell you why. I couldn't tell you who my mentor was or what my parents said or um, what happened to me in my life to make me that way. Um, But when you have an idea in your head and you chase that idea and you reach it, and then it becomes something else, then you get a maybe some positive affirmation or positive reinforcement that all I have to do is imagine it and really believe in the idea and go for it. And maybe some things will work out and some things won't, but sometimes they will. So why not imagine what you really want? And once you do that, you kind of lose the the backwards focus of that's more fear-based of, you know, what if I fail or um, being caught in uh, yesterday's story. I tend to not be caught in yesterday's story because there are too many great things that are possible. And I'd rather not waste my energy um, thinking about what has happened. That's great. And it's so rational and it really makes sense. Like you cannot make an argument against that. And I love hearing (laughs) that. Um, that there are just so many wonderful things coming. And speaking of, is there something you work, uh, you're a painter and a textile designer and probably other things. Is there something really exciting or next chapter that you wish to share? Hmm. Well, right now, the the bulk of my attention is focused on a, a project that I have going on in Shelter Island, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a house a couple years ago that I am adding on to and remodeling and building an art barn in, uh, attached to this property. And, um, it will be really my incubator. It's where I get to show and live with my fabrics, my wallpapers, my artwork, and to have kind of a, an experiential view of what I create is a real treat for me. And, you know, you could argue that I I live between two houses between Oregon and California, and those could be my incubators, but they're not, they're kind of legacy. You know, I, it's, it's all my things that I drag around and, um, shelter Island. This is such a dream property that I am setting it up really as kind of my wonderland and, you know, the outward manifestation of my imagination. So <clears throat> that is really where my my immediate focus is. We should be ready to move in late spring. So I'm in just a full full design and construction and, and decorating mode. And with that, it's it's you seem very open, like about the, your spaces, like you let cameras in or you'll let people in. Like I'm going back to the Salsalito one for a minute because A, it's a very beautiful space. And it seems like you are very, very conscious of how you designed it. Like one area is for this and other areas for this. And you seem very open to letting people in there. And so I guess there's maybe my idea is that there's a bit of vulnerability sometimes with an artist letting someone in seeing a canvas or a work in mm. progress, but perhaps you don't think of it that way. You wanted to share this. Is that how you thought of it? Yeah. Um, 
I think that it, that's a fair statement. I think some people would feel vulnerability around the progress of artwork, but I don't know that artists really feel that. Mm. Um, or I, I can't speak for all artists, but I find the process of making really fascinating. And if there is one thing I want to lift the veil on, it's um, that art looks perfect the whole way through because I feel that if I lift the veil on the ugly parts, you know, the struggle, the half done, the, I don't think I like it yet. The, it isn't, you know, it, it doesn't yet look like how I want it to look. If would be artists know that professional artists experience that, then they will be more likely to push past their own inner critic. I really want everyone to recognize themselves as creative um, and find art making and creativity um, in their own expression as an outlet for them. And the only way they can do that is if they are not judgmental, but they actually can just appreciate the process. So your question, do I allow people to view something, uh, view work in progress? Um, it, do I have vulnerability around that? Absolutely not. I don't have vulnerability around it because I want people to know that um, creativity is messy and imperfect. And that's what I want people to see, not necessarily the bright, shiny final product. And that's powerful coming from you because a lot of your career and a lot of your output has been creating beautiful things and creating beautiful things that people bring into their home to beautify it. Um, and mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting about that because some of your your ideas behind the things you've created in different companies, or even I imagine, I never saw any of your work as a, when you were a, like a freehand artist, you would be in mm -hmm. hotels or restaurants beautifying, perhaps that's not always, you know, making their spaces more about themselves or, or translating images. So I'm curious about your idea of creating a more beautiful space and the power of it. And I, I use that word beauty, but it could be whatever someone desires for their space, beautiful to them or more practical or more uh, inspiring to the life they want to lead. So your ideas of, of that and how that impacts the person in their li life. Well, for me, beauty, a beauty is a, a perfect word to use, but mm. beauty is not the same thing as perfection. I uh -huh. don't, I do not equate the two. And for many people, they think that to beautify means to make perfect. And I don't, I don't, I've never espoused that connection. I've never, I've never stood for that. Um, I, I like to create something that is transportative and beautiful. Um, and I believe in creating spaces that have that magic, but that doesn't mean that they are perfect spaces. It does not mean that um, uh, there's a right and wrong answer and I want people to get to the right answer. The right answer is whatever, whatever moves you. So um, I have my view, you know, that's my form of creativity. I create something that moves me and it, people can be moved by that and find it beautiful or not. Um, I'm fortunate to have had support in that. 
and that enough people find it beautiful to keep me, you know, going to work every day and and keep me doing it um, and tell me that I'm on the right track. But um, I do it to simply feel the satisfaction of creating what I find beautiful, not what I find perfect. There's no set. Perfect would not be beautiful to me. Ah, I like that. That's such an important distinction. And it's, it's a tough question, but I'm wondering if there's, if there's ever been a top space or a, a place or a person that's been so imperfectly beautiful to you or a space mm-hmm. that you remember walking in some like restaurant and you're like, oh, this is, this is perfect, but it would be conventionally imperfect. Absolutely. Um, I can think of a flood of places. None are in the United States. Oh, okay. Um, that's probably why I travel, um, because they're in, we have the habit or maybe the, um, the standard in the U S to want to create perfect. And those aren't necessarily the most inspiring places to me. I, I find the natural world, um, beautiful. Maybe the reason I like nature is that it is imperfect, but beautiful. But the manufactured places, the great restaurants, the beautiful hotels, those are not exactly examples of imperfection in the U.S. However, they are um, in many places outside the U.S. because they can find charm in crumbled frescoes and um, and uh, uh, imperfectly um, pigmented plaster walls in Marrakesh. And, you know, there's a, um, there's an appreciation for patina and for, um, age elsewhere that we don't necessarily capture. This country's too young. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does because one of my favorite objects is a a captain's chest from my great 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 grandfather. Mm. Um, oh wow! So the great age of sail was ending around the 1850s, and he was the mm. last in our family to have been a sea captain. And I have mm. his chest, and it's—I mean, it's really old. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I'll say. I look at it, and it makes me so happy. And um, sometimes I don't even want to dust it because I don't want to um remove mm. any of its magic. <laughs> yeah, I I get that. I think that you know, that age and that where that's, that symbolizes story, you know, that, that chest has so many stories to tell. And I think that those stories have a power when placed in a room or, you know, when the, the, when the whole room has an age or antiquity where you just can kind of feel the ghosts of what has come before. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if I'm like, if I'm digressing, but, um, I think there's, there's true beauty in, um, some in spaces with soul. And, um, I create my patterns to always have a little quirk and a little hand because I want there to be a reminder that there's a human behind that pattern and that it's not a machine. So I, my hallmark, my fingerprint is always, um, story, imperfection, humanity, soul. That's wonderful. 
you had a BA in psychology mm-hmm. and then you switched and um, that during that switch, your studies took you outside of the U.S. Is that correct? Yes. And did you get any flack or maybe it didn't matter if you did when you went from psychology to then fine art? So much flack. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. Um, well, I threw a lot of people for a loop. I was throwing myself for a loop at the time. I didn't understand why I was making that switch. My parent, you know, keep in mind, I was young. I was straight out of college. Um, I was applying to graduate programs for clinical psychology when I just froze and said, this is the wrong direction. And um my parents were standing by, my friends knew, you know, I was firmly moving this direction and all of a sudden took a hard right. And um, it was a lot to explain to people. I didn't really have an explanation myself. Um, And I tried to kind of uh, ground it in practicality. I was going back to art school, but for graphic design, because that was, you know, at least a career. And I found that I didn't love the computer art programs, which is ironic because so much of what I do is graphic design and I'm on Photoshop a lot. So it was a great foundation, but I pivoted very quickly to the true fine art and painting because that's what I loved. And then I really couldn't explain it, but I just told everyone to trust me. And that's great that you did, because I think many people, especially at that age, might have a hard time you know, standing up for themselves in that regard. And they might think mm. like, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. And then do my art on the side and, you know, make everyone happy. So I think that's, that's great that you did that. And then you, of course, very successful. One of your endeavors, Serena and Lily, very successful. And again, another pivot, if you could tell us about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really see Serena and Lily as a pivot. It was very much, um, you know, at the at the time, let's see, when I started my business as a decorative painter, um, I, let me think about this. So I was at, I started when I was living in Colorado and then I moved to San Francisco and fairly quickly I started freelancing with Pottery Barn Kids on their photo shoots. And I was an on-set decorative painter working hand-in-hand with the stylist to create these freehand painted backdrops for the catalog. And so I learned um, about commercial photography. I I learned about set work. I learned about, you know, the, the work of photographers and stylists and and that dynamic. Um, And I was specializing in children's rooms through Pottery Barn Kids. And then when I met Lily, she had a a beautiful baby store and she wanted to feature some of my work in her store. And that was a natural fit. And then she saw my textile designs. I had started a line of block printed fabrics then that I was selling to designers. And she said, well, I could see this one on a crib bumper or, you know, crib bedding. And I said, that's actually something I've been thinking about um, because I had so much exposure to nursery bedding and children's bedding from Pottery Barn Kids that I just, 
I was kind of a shopper at the time. I did not have kids at the time, but I remember thinking, hmm, this doesn't speak to me. The direction of, you know, the choo- at the time it was choo-choo trains and bunnies and ducks and something that just didn't, it, it, it didn't connect. I didn't connect to it. And I explained this to Lily and she said, huh, well, that's, there's a lot on the market. I said, yeah, there's nothing on the market that I would buy. And she said, well, what would you want to see? And I described it to her. And she said, well, that's not what it looks, what crib bedding looks like. I said, that's my point. And she said, well, do you think your your friends feel the same way? I said, I've never asked them, but I have to believe that I would be a bellwether. Um, and she said, well, let's partner on something. And so that's the story of how Serena and Lily was founded. We started with crib bedding. Um, and so that really wasn't out of left field. It was very, you know, one foot in front of the other, just like everything in life. When you look back, it all makes sense that you're led um, from one point to the next, as long as you stay open to um, walking through the door that's presented. And the success of that venture um I came across something you were speaking about, and it was so interesting to me. It was the idea of, well, one that was just that's that is very successful, and then you have a different business now, Serena Dugan, and you were talking about the fact that a business doesn't have to follow the conventional trajectory or doesn't have to look like what we assume is to be a successful business. Like, oh, we've had X percent growth and now we have a bigger space and more people and we're making more money. You can have a very successful business as one person. And if you could talk about that, because I found that Mm. very inspiring and really wonderful. It was Mm. like, yay, someone's finally said it. You know, it's it's so interesting to me that um, I believe you're Yes, I remember the interview that you're you're mentioning. I said that once and I got so such a a wildly positive response to that comment and it's shocking to me and wonderful to me that this is a code that we, you know, we truly have to crack. Um so yes, the model of success has traditionally been big Big, you know, that that is you are successful if you grow it to X size. But I've lived through growing it to X size. I've lived through um, growing a big company. And I'm here to tell you that that does not make you more satisfied. It does not. um, uh, It's not a recipe for longevity of satisfaction. um, And it's not a recipe for profitability. So I've, I've lived through every, you know, every scenario. And I set out when I left Serena and Lily to create something that was built around the way I define satisfaction. And the way I define satisfaction is um, small, low to the ground. Um, I want to know, I want my team to feel like my family. Um, I want us to all be in it together. I want to see profitability as soon as possible so that you're not constantly having to feed the beast meaning raise money to expand your product assortment and expand the circulation of a catalog. And it's always more, more, more with these larger scale companies. Everything that you see that's larger scale, it takes a lot to get there. And um, I just want 
wanted to make and I wanted to have fun with my days and that is available right away. So at what point do you then return to the model of, okay, it will be successful once I have X number of locations, I'm at X sales, I have this number of employees and this is how I'm regarded. The answer for me is never. That's not my recipe. I love to make, I love to paint, I love to create. And so I needed to find the right sales channel to support what I want to make. I wanted a team that could lift off the duties and responsibilities that I don't enjoy and I'm not good at and stand in the way of me making. And I want control of my days and I want to um, spend every minute of my time in ways that I find satisfying. And that's it. And has that always been generally how you thought about business and work or was that? Okay. No. Um, You know, keep in mind. Oh, and I would add one thing to what I just said. Um, You can run a much stronger business keeping it lean um, than you can blowing it out. Much stronger business, much quicker. And that's a little hack that no one tells you. Um, So, sorry, the question, have I always felt that way? Um, No, when I started Serena and Lily, I was 30 years old. Keep in mind that my, my deepest professional experience was Serena and Lily. Um, You know, I was a decorative painter. I was a tradesperson, essentially. Um, Happy happy as could be, but I didn't have executive experience. So my coming of age was Serena and Lily. And you do kind of, you follow the model that is set forth without questioning it. And for me, the model was, I knew that I wanted to design, but I was also running the creative side of the business. So I was both lead designer and chief creative officer. And that gave me the ability to set the vision and execute on the vision and not have to, um, turnover, uh, uh, turn the idea over and wait and see what I got. Um, so I did, my role was definitely not the way you would see it in other, uh, similar organizations, similar retail organizations, because I did, I did both. Um, but I didn't at that stage know that we were supposed to keep it small. And if I had ever voiced that organic growth felt better than raising money, growing exponentially, raising more money to fund that growing exponentially, again, um, if I voiced that, I was in the minority. Um, I was in the minority because that's not the way business is done at that level. Um, it wasn't an exercise to keep me, the creative, happy. It was at that point an exercise to earn our investors' money. And once you take on capital, it becomes about setting plan, making plan, and earning money for the people who have invested in you. And that's the way big business works. But I had to learn that. And I imagine that what you're doing today, well, I was, I I love how you took time and you were able to go paint in France and, and for people out there that 
given your level of success, look at that and are in awe and go, how did she do it? (laughs) How, How did she, but talking to you a little, it seems like you have a very clear idea of things and you execute them. And I think that's very fascinating. And it's, um, it's a really wonderful, uh, manner characteristics. So how did you say, you know, this is it, everybody, bye, I'm going off to do this and I need to immerse myself. Well, there's a dirty little secret that no one tells you, which is when you're divorced and you share custody, then you have half you know, 50% of your time is available to do what you need or want to do. So I hate to, you know, uh, I hate to put it that way, but I do have time to, um, to attend to my own wishes and desires. And, um, I have a supportive ex-husband. He knows that this is what I'm about. Um, I asked him a year ahead. I said, this is something I'm thinking about doing. Could we um, rearrange some time, ideally next spring, or you tell me the best time that I should look for, um, for me to take a chunk of time to go do some professional development. So, you know, essentially, um, you know, some people could see a, a painting residency as playtime or arts and crafts, but I see it as um, good for the soul and professional development. And I am resolved to to doing that kind of thing on a regular basis. And um, my ex-husband knows and supports that. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard. And the location in France of the residency, was it extraordinary? I don't have words. It was... Okay. It, it, it um i don't know if it was the location or the space or the fact that i carved out time to do it that i put life on hold and i didn't know i i don't know what it was or what combination contributed to the feeling of it just being feeling like magic to me and one of the most important parts, and I don't think it had anything to do with France or the beauty of the location. Um, one of the most important things for me was the fact that I didn't need to know what time it was for two solid weeks, other than the time of day that I needed to call my kids. And I set an alarm for that. And the rest of the time, I didn't need to track anything. I was checked out. And that kind of experience is really, really powerful for all of us, um, especially when you're juggling so many things as a um, worker, a wife, a mother, a you know, a, a husband, a, a, any of us, all of us. Um, we to be able to reconnect to source in whatever way we do it. For me, it was it. It's. You know, there are many ways I connect to source, but painting is one of the primary ways. So it was a magical experience through and through. Connecting to source, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And so that should be a, that is a priority for you. Oh, a hundred percent. That's great. If, yeah. There's no way for me to live the life that I've chosen to live if I was disconnected to source because creative work requires a connection to source. 
it's not execution, it's um, channeling inspiration and executing. So you can't do those things without a, a sense of feeling grounded and connected. So new objects such as like furniture or decor mm-hmm. items, your work being integrated on them and released to the public, is that something that's that's in, that you're doing or? Yeah, that's something that I have, um, was my intention to do as I was getting my studio up and running, I thought that it would be a combination of textiles, artwork, and objects. Mm. Because in my past, objects have been very important. You know, clearly with Serena and Lily, um, with our bazaar that we put together at Serena and Lily, and in any decorative painting, um, you know, decoratively painted furniture that I've done. And I wanted to have a, um, a collection of objects. And I Um, really worked hard on developing that collection. And I realized there are too many moving parts. And to be in the um, logistics business is going to really unground me. Um, And it makes my, it's so challenging. And it challenges a section of your brain that you don't really want to challenge if you have to stay creative. So um, it taxed the, the operation, honestly. It was too operational, I should say operationally challenging. So no objects. I will make peace with that. In my heart, I see objects, but practically speaking, it was too tricky. Are you impacted very much because there's Salsalito, there's Bend, Oregon, and then there's Shelter Island. Mm. And can I speculate that there is specific reasoning behind these different locations? Yes. And, yeah. Yes, definitely. You can speculate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I'll the tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, the reason for the three locations, I mean, let's move aside Shelter Island for a moment. I've lived in Sausalito for, you know, 20 years, 22, I guess. Um, or the Bay Area for 22, Sausalito for um, just under 20. And it is my community. It's my home. I would, I, I love Sausalito for many reasons. And it is really my creative center. Um, I made the move to Bend for my kids. Uh, it was time to move them out of the Bay Area. I realized that during COVID there were better, we needed more wide open spaces. And my ex-husband really wanted to move. So it was really in support of the family, um, him and my kids. But I said, in order for me to move, I need to keep my headquarters in Sausalito, keep my life set up and make it commutable. And Bend happens to be commutable, um, easily commutable. It's an hour flight, easy flight. Um, so I can easily go back and forth. So Bend is nature. You know, I'm here for the nature, for the peace, for the ease. Um, it's a great place to raise kids. I love to ski. I love to be outdoors. I love to hike. So that, that is what Bend offers. And then Sausalito offers community and beauty and creativity. And really, you know, my roots are there. Um, so I find strength in, while it's hard to toggle between the two, it was very energizing to do it as well, because you're constantly 
getting nutrients over here and bringing that and infusing this life with those nutrients and vice versa. Now, Shelter Island, um, just to, you know, uh, add one more thing that I'm juggling, um, Shelter Island has its own nutrients for me. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I insist on being out East for some portion of the summer because it's grounded. It's, it's, um, it feels like home in the most significant way for me. Summertime, you know, what you miss in California or at least Northern California is warmth. It's not, it does not feel like summer and going through the seasons that is in, you know, if you grew up with four seasons, it's very hard to not live with four seasons. Um, so Shelter Island is really an outpost where I can get summer and it, um, is I'm in New York regularly. So there's, you know, there's a, it makes sense to have a um, flag planted there, how I use it. And when I use it, that is later on's problem. I'm not sure, but it's, it's the right thing. It's later on's problem. That's my new bumper Later sticker. on's problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, is there anything you wanted to share about how you can connect to source personally on a daily basis mm-hmm. when you're not in some beautiful locale? Um, well, I don't really need to be in a beautiful locale to reconnect to source. Um, I, th- I learned early on when my kids were very young that. Um, I needed some peace and quiet in the mornings. That's when I really need to ground. And I learned that the hard way because they used to wake me up, you know, it from a deep slumber, they would wake me up and keep talking about whatever they went to bed talking about. And I realized I need quiet. I need to start my days quiet. So I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning to beat their wake up time and just sit in peace. So do I meditate? Yes, irregularly, poorly, well, sometimes poorly most of the time. But really meditation for me is just about quiet time um, where I can hear myself think and kind of recenter. And when I recenter, I do think about the day before, what happened, what I can take away that I can appreciate and um, absorb that. And I think about my day ahead and set some intentions about what I'd like the day to feel like and what I want to get done and how to like how to frame that up. And I insist on getting that time, that quiet time every morning. So it really has nothing to do with the beauty of my environment. It has to do with my ability to find center and just, you know, because center is in here. It's not out here. Um, and we all have our different ways of doing that. For some, it's going for a run. For me, it's sitting quietly in the morning. And I'm sure you've had those experiences. You learned, like you said, the hard way when you didn't have that. And it was just off to the races at all days. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, Kieran, we have some pictures of work. Just And I always love to share some of those for those who are maybe watching this on YouTube to take a look. If you could just grab bag one. And it's always nice to uh, get a sense from the artist what might have been going on at the time or perhaps some of your ideas behind this work. Okay. So this is a 
This is a studio shot of my new block print collection. And this is what you see is actually a mix of block printed fabrics and some uh, wallpapers that were based on those block printed patterns. Uh, so if you were to be, you know, get a close up view of this, you would see the detail and the beauty of and the artisanal nature of Indian block prints. Um, but that was really a labor of love. And those are my roots. I started as a, as a block printer where I would print my own fabrics. And then at Serena and Lily, I had the great gift of being able to go over to India and work with these master craftsmen. And so to be able to then infuse that back into my, um, my own collection was really meaningful. So uh, this is also the Condessa pattern interpreted uh, as a rug. And this is a collaboration that I'm really, really excited about with Eric Lindstrom uh, rugs out of Los Angeles. He works with unbelievable craftspeople in Nepal. And um, he interpreted three of my designs uh, in four unique colorways for each as 12 different rugs. This pattern was the last pattern that I added to my original collection. And I didn't add it until I stood back from the collection as a whole, you know, it was spread all over my walls. And I thought, okay, this feels nice, safe, but it doesn't yet have me as an artist present. It has me as a designer. The difference being, Art is a little bit riskier. It's a little bit more of a statement, um, whereas pattern is repeated and predictable. And I wanted something that would allow me to really present my point of view in color and shape and form and geometry. And so that's how this was designed. Excellent. And the is there one more photo? And so this is a second rug from the collection. And I believe that we chose these photos because they're the most recent additions that I've made. Um, with the common denominator being that it's all about craft and artisan work. And really that is my, those are my roots. So the block printed collection, that is about the craft, the master craft of, um, of block printing which is such a part of who I am as a, as a creative and a designer and an artist. And this is about the, the, um, the beauty and skill and craftsmanship of a woven rug and to see your designs executed with such um, exquisite um, skill uh, is really a treat. So this is one, the second pattern. It was also based on a piece of art that I did. Eric really wanted to focus on my artwork rather than my pattern work and interpret my art underfoot. So this is a beautiful example. How exciting for you to see this for the first mm. time, especially since it's Oh my based... gosh, I can't, I don't have words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it's, yeah. it's, it's based on your painting. How, how interesting that connection, right? Yeah. Well, when I first saw the rugs, it was for our launch party in LA and he had 11 by 14 rugs in all colorways hung in his giant, beautiful space. And I walked in and I saw this 
giant version of my artwork so beautifully executed. And it was just um, really meaningful. Definitely. And when you are selecting the medium, medium, um, so perhaps there's this kernel, this idea, and then it's either textile design or, or painting or perhaps something else, you know, intrinsically, you know, which one to toggle, which one you are going to select. Well, I know once I see the once I can imagine the idea, it either wants to be in, you know, a repeat or a, you know, in a rectangle of its own. Um, I know what it's supposed to be based on. It's hard to explain, but I know. Okay. I imagine. And thank you so much. We really appreciate. I mean, we've talked about business and so many things and I love your perspective. I think it's very distinct Mm, and I like how decisive it is and strong. And I think it's really wonderful for other people to hear it, especially your approach and how firm you are and how sure you, you are, or it's, you know, it seems very, you are very sure of things and your vision and Mm. you, you are faithful to them. You go with them. It's not a, a, I've been thinking about it, but whatever, it's not going to work because, you know, A, B, C, and D, you're just like, and it seems like you've done that for a long time. And I just, I really applaud that. And I think it's, it's a really great thing for other people to hear. (laughs) I really appreciate that. I, I, um, yes, I'll take it. Absolutely. Sold. All right, Serena, have a lovely day. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Constance. (laughs) I enjoyed it.